Ah, uh, yes. Welcome to this weekend's edition of Uptempo Sports 24-7. I am your host, Coach P, and we're going to dive right into this NFL divisional round of the playoffs. And we have matchups all over the place. Thank you for joining us. We're going to start with the AFC's matchup today, and that would be the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars. We've already seen this matchup earlier in the year. Jacksonville visited Kansas City. Kansas City had three turnovers in this game, but Jacksonville was only able to cash in on one. And as a result, they suffered a 27-10 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Do I think it'll be any different today? Absolutely not. The Jaguars are playing better football than they were then. However, they just escaped last week with a phenomenal comeback led by their outstanding young quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. But Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid coming off of a bye is pretty much automatic. They say that on any given Sunday, or in this case, any given Saturday, I don't see it happening, folks. Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, I believe, is on a mission. They know that they let one slip away from getting to their third Super Bowl last year when they lost at home to the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow. I think that the run ends for Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars in Kansas City today. Then tomorrow we will have the Buffalo Bills who will be hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. The question that I have about this game, and I guess I was a little confused by the NFL's announcement earlier on. They, I thought that I interpreted as if, if Buffalo or Cincinnati or Kansas City were going to meet in the playoffs, that it was going to be on a neutral site. However, that is not the correct interpretation. It is. It was if Buffalo or Kansas City met in the AFC Championship, then because of the fact that the Buffalo-Cincinnati game did not conclude as a result of what happened to young DeMar Hamlin, the um, safety for the Bills, then we couldn't determine who actually would have a number one seed. Number one seed. So as a result, they decided on a neutral site for this game if it occurred. Seems like the Cincinnati drew the short end of the straw because, in my opinion, that game, if it had concluded, I think that that night Cincinnati was going to get a win. But we wouldn't, we don't know. We could just speculate. And that's my interpretation. But I think at the end of the day, I think Cincinnati got the short straw. I think that they should have had an opportunity, just like Kansas City is and Buffalo. Um, that they should have had an opportunity if it was going to be uh, a matchup that they would be on a neutral site. I honestly believe that since Kansas City had the better record, but because Buffalo had beat them, that's why I guess the NFL decided that game had to be on a neutral site. But as I heard one um, sports talk host this morning, the NFL decided to make this change because they could not conclude how they should determine who should have home field. And as the broadcaster stated, one of the rules that is in place is, is that you can always go to winning percentage. Who has the best winning percentage at the end of the season? And to me, that's what they should have done in this situation because it was going to be unfair in many people's eyes anyway. But if this is a rule that's in place, then why not utilize it? Why not utilize the winning percentage of the three teams to see who has the best winning percentage and then therefore you could determine who would have home field advantage. But I digress at this particular point because to no avail, Cincinnati will be visiting Buffalo tomorrow afternoon and Cincinnati comes into this game pretty beat up across the offensive line. The reason why I still think the Bengals have a shot to beat Buffalo is because of number nine wearing a Bengals jersey. His name is Joe Cool Barrow. And we saw last year that 
Cincinnati's offensive line was not that good. Joe Burrow got sacked nine or ten times in that wild card game against the Tennessee Titans last year and still was able to pull out a victory. And then they went on to go on the road against the defending AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs and were able to get a victory that propelled them to the Super Bowl. And I honestly believe that in the Super Bowl against the Rams, if they had one legitimate offensive lineman that could have held it down at the end, I believe that Cincinnati would have been world champions last year. Because if it wasn't for the fact that the Rams in the uh, middle of the season had signed Von Miller at the trade deadline, and along with, of course, the great Aaron Donald already on that defensive line, I think the combination of them against that uh, Petrie offense of line of Cincinnati was what the deciding factor was with why the Rams ended up winning that Super Bowl. So if anybody can go into Buffalo with less than what they need, it is definitely the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, on the up flip side of that, Buffalo will have home field advantage, as we just quoted to you. But does it really make a lot of difference for them? Because we saw last week against Miami that they almost wilted away the lead and the game. And we were talking about Buffalo probably coming in here with all the momentum, with knowing that DeMar Hamlin was back in Buffalo, was doing well, that they would come in and, and come out like gangbusters to get that victory last week. Now, they jumped out early, but as great as Josh Allen is, he did everything in his power to give that game back to Miami to get back into the game. And if it wasn't for miscommunication and poor clock management at the end, the Dolphins may have been able to pull one of the biggest upsets in playoff history in recent time. But that did not occur. So Josh Allen and the Bills have a, a chance this weekend to salvage what could have been a disaster last weekend. But Josh Allen has to be a better caretaker of the football this weekend. They have to be better at trying to run the ball this weekend. They cannot allow themselves to get caught up in just throwing the ball downfield every single time. Josh Allen needs the comforts of being able to do what's going to be best for him and this football team, and that is be a caretaker of the football. If they do that and Cincinnati's offensive line ends up being the reason why they can't keep Joe Burrow from going downfield to the likes of T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, then Buffalo will win this game. Otherwise, I think the Bengals have a great chance because of what they faced last year adversely with the offensive line, they know that they can play on a high level even when they don't have all their best pieces in play. So this is going to be a good game. Um, I like Cincinnati because I'm a, I like Joe Burrow. Uh, Buffalo is the favorite. They should probably win, but I'm looking for Cincinnati to pull an upset. I like Cincinnati in this game. And if Buffalo does not hold home court serve, it's going to be some heads that are going to roll, I believe, in the offseason. They have been that team with all the expectations coming into this season to win the Super Bowl. They were the team that was supposed to walk through the season, as we saw from week one, after the way they dismantled the Rams. But now we understand why they were able to dismantle Rams like that. The Rams just weren't that good, and then they got hit by a barrage of injuries. But Buffalo looked like a team that made at the beginning of the season, could possibly go undefeated. Well, we knew that wasn't going to happen. Um, we hadn't seen that since the 72 Dolphins. But they looked like they, they were on a fast track to be the next team that could possibly do that. But we're going to see what the Bills are made of. Um, it just 
they look unsteady right now in my in my eyes. They look unsteady going into this game. And it's just something about that Joe Burrow magic. If this game stays close, believe me, they're not going to have the same clock management problems that Miami had last week. And Joe Burrow is going to show you why he is Joe Cool. Because although pressure may be in his face, although he may take a few sacks, he is like a bouncing ball. He knows how to bounce back and he knows how to make those plays at the end of the game to put his team in the situation to be victorious. I like Cincinnati. I don't consider it to be an upset. I think Cincinnati is just as good as Buffalo, although, like I said, they're down a few offensive linemen. So I don't consider it to be an upset, um, but I'm picking the Bengals. In the games going on in the NFC, starting tonight, where you have the Philadelphia Eagles hosting the Road Warrior New York Giants. The Giants in a big road win last week at Minnesota, a game in which I didn't think that they could win because I didn't think that they could put up enough points to compete with Minnesota. However, I didn't realize that Minnesota's defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. And although Minnesota did lose that game, it wasn't because of Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins had a really good game last week, 31 for 39, two touchdowns. Uh, I think he threw for close to 300 yards. The problem was, was that on the other side, Daniel Jones for the Giants had a phenomenal game for his first introduction to the playoffs. He's the first quarterback to throw for over 300 yards and have more than 70 yards rushing in a playoff game. They look, they made Daniel Jones look like Steve Young, the way he was running around last week. And then you then you add in Saquon Barkley, and we know how explosive he can be. And the Giants look like world beaters last week. But before you jump on this Giants bandwagon against these Eagles, remember the three best games that Daniel Jones played this season, two of those were against the Minnesota Vikings. The other one was against Detroit Lions. And although Detroit this year had a phenomenal offense led by uh, Mr. Golf. Their defense was suspect. And so now you have the Giants matching up against the number one defense um, when it comes to sacks and sack pressures in the NFL. The Eagles led the NFL with 70 sacks and the most pressures in the NFL, followed by Dallas with the most pressures in the NFL. So now you're talking about a top rated defense going against a Giants offense that I don't think is going to be able to put up the same amount of points as they did against the Minnesota Vikings last week. This is the third meeting of these divisional rivals. They always say it's hard to beat a team twice in one season. Now you're asking the Eagles to do the trifecta and beat them three, beat the Giants three times. I just think that the Eagles are the better team. They have been rested. Hopefully the rest has helped. Their um, all-pro quarterback this year, Jalen Hurts, who's recovered, who's been, who has been recovering from a shoulder injury. So we're looking to see how effective he's going to be. I know the Giants with um, Mr. Thibodeau on the on the uh, edge for the Giants, along with Dexter Lawrence in the middle. Um, they're going to test that shoulder out, but I just think that overall Philadelphia, with their weapons on offense, AJ Brown. Um, Deontay Smith, Dallas Goddard, I think uh, Miles Sanders, I think they have enough pieces in the cupboard that they will be able to um, expose the weaknesses of the Giants and force the Giants to maybe do some things that they are uncomfortable with in regards to going downfield. The Giants have gotten got major production last week from their tight end position and from uh, the young receivers um, that we don't really know who they are, except for Slayton, who's been there a few years. And then the uh, receiver they picked up off waivers from Buffalo, who had, I think his name is Mr. Aldridge, but don't quote me on that, that um, had a uh, really good afternoon against the Minnesota defense. But again, you're talking about a defense that was – bottom bottoms in the NFL at 32 
they're not going to have that same luxury against the Philadelphia Eagles. So I like the Eagles tonight to hold serve in this divisional round and go on to the next round. Um, but again, the Giants know the Eagles and the Eagles know the Giants and it's a division rival. So anything could possibly happen. But I think the Eagles will hold serve tonight. And then, of course, we go to Levi Stadium to the San Francisco 49ers hosting my Dallas Cowboys. I'm glad that they were able to get the monkey off their back last week. It was so many people talking about Dallas is going to fall on their face. Tom Brady, the GOAT, is going to find a way to win. And Dallas went in and did what they were supposed to do. That was they handled their business and they took apart a team that was less talented than they were, a team that did not match it with them as much as people wanted to say they did. They dismantled the Buccaneers. And it wasn't all Tom Brady looking bad. It was just that the combination of Tom Brady not having a lot of time, combination of them, the Buccaneers, I mean, not being able to run the football, all those things were factors. And then you take into consideration that Dak Prescott had by far one of the best games of his career. Four touchdowns in the air, one touchdown using his legs, and he looked calm and focused, laser focused in on the job and hand. And that is what I wanted to see from the Cowboys last Monday night. And that's what we got. And if we get that version of Dallas going into Levi Stadium tomorrow afternoon, the San Francisco 49ers are going to be staying at home. Yes, I'm saying that here. And I'm not just saying that as a Cowboy fan. The better quarterback resides in Dallas. Brock Purdy has had a phenomenal stretch of games. San Fran's on an 11-game winning streak. However, doing that, if you go back and look at the teams in which they've won, they have not played a top-tier defense at all. And think about the two games that we saw where they struggled. On the road against the Las Vegas Raiders, who we know whose defense is some trash, they had to go to overtime. And then last week at home against Seattle, if it wasn't for a uh, Bosa sack fumble, Seattle was in the red zone with an opportunity to either tie the ball game up or potentially draw within three points midway through the third quarter. Once that sack fumble occurred, then it turned the tide of the game, and then it became an avalanche of points. Uh, that's why the score ended up being 41-23. So let's not get too ahead of ourselves thinking that this is just going to be a walk in the park for San Francisco. They're going to have to show up, and I have no doubt that they will because that's what they've been doing all season. But best believe that Dallas defense is going to show up as well. And Micah Parsons, you can say what you want, about some games where he looked like he wasn't himself, that young man has the heart of a lion. That's why he is the, called the lion. And he has the heart of a lion and the ability of one of the best young players that we've seen enter into the NFL. He probably will not win defensive player of the year this year because he did fall off towards the end of the year. And so I think that Nick Bosa will capture that honor and he's well and is well-deserved. But if Brock Purdy thinks he's going to be back in the, in the uh, backfield patting the ball and not seeing number 11 or number 90, Demarcus Lawrence, or number 92, Dorrance Armstrong, or number 55, LVE, Leighton Vander Esch, he's going to be in for a surprise. And don't forget about Donovan Wilson on the blitz. Dallas is going to pack their lunch and they're coming with their hard hats. The one thing I did see on Monday night in the Tampa Bay game from the Cowboys was that they looked like they were ready for a fist fight. And believe you me, in this game against the 49ers, if they don't show up ready to fight, then they will be going home. If they don't show up ready to keep their lunch money in their pocket from the bully on the block, which is the San Francisco 49ers, both on the offensive side and the defensive side, Dallas will be definitely packing their bags to go on vacation. But if they come out and they throw haymakers instead of jabs, every time that San Fran throws a punch, 
they counterpunch, then the San Francisco 49ers are going to be in for the game of their life. And I just feel like the pressure, I'm not going to say there's pressure necessarily on San Francisco, but there's no pressure on Dallas at this particular point. There may be a little bit of pressure on Dak Prescott because now entering, going into his seventh season, when we start the new year, um, starting going into the fall, he'll be into his seventh season. You have to, at some point, put up a shut up. And I think that this is one of those moments right here where Dak can get back some of the luster that a lot of people were saying that had fallen off with the way he played this year with all the interceptions. The thing about it is, can Dallas afford to turn the ball over multiple times and expect to beat the 49ers? Absolutely not. But on the flip side of that, the 49ers can't afford that either. And it's always funny to me how the scenarios are presented. Well, you know, if Dallas goes in and they turn the ball over, San Francisco will walk them out. Well, if San Francisco turns the ball over, Dallas will walk them out. We're talking about the top-rated defense in the NFL, followed by the second or third top-rated defense in the Cowboys in the NFL. So this is not going to be a situation where, like with Seattle, who really their defense was average to below average, we're talking about a team defensively, at least from the defensive line perspective, that can put pressure on the quarterback, can create turnovers. Dallas led the league in turnovers with 33. So we know what the formula is in order for Dallas to be in this game, for Dallas to be able to win this game. They just have to put it all together. I think we're going to be in for a classic showdown tomorrow in Levi Stadium in San Francisco. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what the Cowboys do. And they sound like they're confident. I think they realized last year they had an opportunity at home in the wild card game. They did not show up. Dak definitely did not show up. And I think everybody knows the heartbeat of this team right now is, is that they want to advance. Because it's either advance or go home. And this is an opportunity for them to shut the doubters up, shut the haters up, especially the likes of Stephen A. Smith, who once again, instead of just giving the Cowboys the credit that they deserve, wants to say, oh, yeah, they beat they beat Tom Brady, What's, but they're definitely going to lose to San Francisco. How about giving them the respect they would do? They beat the person that you paraded around in his jersey on your show, first take, and a Tampa hat as if you were a Tampa Bay fan. And you paraded around a, a Brady jersey, wearing a Brady jersey, all, all strutting around in a Tampa Bay jersey, in Tampa Bay gear, and said that the GOAT was going to beat the Cowboys, that the Cowboys would fall on their face. How'd that work out for you? So then what's your excuse going to be? This is, this is what's going to be funny. What's the excuse going to be this week on your show on Monday if the Cowboys win? Or if the, even if the Cowboys lose, but the game is, comes down to a field goal or it's close, then what's the excuse going to be? You can't say they didn't show up. You can't say that they didn't they didn't come out to play. You're just going to say, here we go again, the Cowboys can't get. No, you can't say that anymore. If they win this game and if the game is close, you're going to have to give them their due. I know that you won't. I, know, I already know that you won't. But I'm, I'm calling you out to say that you should give them their due. Because at the end of the day, you know, just like I know, that this is a good team. I'm not saying that they are a great team. I'm not even saying they're a Super Bowl winning team. But what I will say is this, is that on any given Sunday, we know that this team, if it shows up, can compete with anybody in the NFL. It has the weapons on both sides of the ball. Just a matter of can they show up and be consistent. That's been the issue with Dallas most of this season because – They've played down to their opponents and they've gotten up for the bigger games. So because this is a big game against a big time opponent, I think you'll see the stars come out for the Cowboys and they will be locked and loaded with an opportunity to return to the NFC championship. One that they have not been to since 1995. So I look forward to this game tomorrow. It should be a battle of gladiators. I look forward to this game. Absolutely. So we're going to take a small break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about 
the amazing things that Coach Deion Sanders is doing at his new location, the University of Colorado. This is Up Temple Sports with Coach P. Thank you for joining us. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to this weekend edition of Uptempo Sports 24-7 with Coach P. And to me, this is the theme song for one Coach Prime. That is right, Deion Sanders, the head coach of the Colorado State Buffaloes. He is that guy. He has been putting in that work. He has been hustling to change the dynamics of the Buffalo program as he enters into his first season in Colorado. And what I'm trying to get you all to understand is, is that you have to be a great recruiter. But everybody wants to sometimes talk about, well, you know, there was a lot of shade thrown on Dion this past season when he decided to leave Jackson State. Let's let's go over this for a second. Dion gave Jackson State three years of excellence in his first head coaching job on the collegiate level. Dion got that program in three years, 27-6, two SWAC regular season titles. He went to back-to-back SWAC championship games. Now, did he win? No, he didn't. But you have to be in the game in order to talk about winning. So he can talk about the fact that he was in the game. He can talk about the fact that he got his team there. There's always factors that you can point to in the in the midst of a game that determines a win or a loss, whether it is a lack of a timeout, a misuse of a timeout, a penalty here, a bad snap, a turnover. All these things are factors, and especially when you get to a championship game. The smallest miscue can turn what could be a potential victory into a loss. I don't think we can sit here and hold judgment against a man who went 27-6. If you want to say it wasn't at a power five, okay, maybe it wasn't. But there's a lot of coaches that are at a historically black college that have not done the likes of what Dion is doing or what Dion did at Jackson State. In that short period of time, you had people that were pointing a finger to saying, how dare he leave Jackson State after he got there and turned the program around? Let's let's get this. Let's let's think about this for a second. In life, isn't it about trying to advance yourself? Isn't it about trying to create opportunities to move up the ladder? So you all want to sit here and hold Dion's feet to the fire, no pun intended, because he decided that there was a better opportunity for him out there. A lot of people look at it and says, well, he could have stayed at Jackson State. He didn't need the money. Why are you checking this man's pockets? Number one. Number two. How do we know it was only about the money? From what I understood was, was that at the time that they hired Dion, they hadn't even they didn't have the package financially altogether. They were lacking the financial resources at the time, but they were working on it behind the scenes. But in any job capacity, whether it's in sports, whether it's in corporate world or everyday living, you always want to give yourself the best opportunity, put your best foot forward in order to put yourself in a situation where people want you to give you a better opportunity to advance. That's what Dion did. So how can you blame him for wanting to continue to improve, continue to make an impact on the lives of young men? 
He did that at Jackson State. He's going to do the same thing at the University of Colorado. It's not all about black and white. It's about what he brings to the table. Did he make an impact at Jackson State on the black community? Absolutely. Will he make an impact at Colorado? Absolutely. On both the black and white community. He is not sitting here trying to be the savior for the black community. He's sitting here trying to be a mentor for all young men. That is what you need to look at. Stop looking at this and trying to put box this into just being a race issue. Make it be a person, humanitarian issue, an issue where this man has, is sharing his gifts, not only the gift of being able to be a great player, but the gift of his spirit, the gift of his spirituality, the gift of his knowledge of not only football, but the gift of life. That's what these young men at the University of Colorado are going to receive. And that's what he provided for those young men at Jackson State. With that said, remember last year, Dion was able to flip Travis Hunter, who by all syndications was the number one cornerback in the country. Travis Hunter flipped his commitment to from Florida State to Jackson State. And as a freshman had a phenomenal year in the SWAC. If I'm not mistaken, I think he was the SWAC player of the year, at least probably defensively, but he plays both sides of the ball and is phenomenal on both sides of the ball. And even Dion said at this stage of where this young man's career is, he's better than he was. That's a lot to say. That's a hell of a compliment coming from one of the best cornerbacks, all-time athletes, not just cornerback, but just all-time athletes that we've ever seen. And that's why he's called primetime. So Dion waved his magic wand. And again, he had another commit to decommit and come to Colorado. And that would be Kamani McLean, the number one cornerback, the five-star cornerback who had committed to the University of Miami, went to visit Colorado. Now he will be going to the University of Colorado. Can you imagine this? You have two of the best young corners. Now, Mr. McLean hasn't played on the collegiate level yet, but just based off of his high school resume as a player and the potential that we have heard about him, they already are stacked on the defensive side of the ball at the corner position with Travis Hunter and this young man. He hasn't even been in Colorado, folks, for only a month. And he's already working his magic. Don't hate, as they say, don't hate the player, hate the game. Dion, you know if he gets in front of a kid, chances are that kid is coming to wherever Dion's going. Because the one thing that you can hide from these players is that he's not going to be filling your dreams and hopes of something that he himself has not accomplished. He is an all-time great player. You have seen in a short period of time that he definitely can coach. I know that was a big question going in when he went to Jackson State, but he's shown you that he can coach. And I think with better players on a bigger stage, nobody's saying that Colorado is going to win a national championship right now. Nobody's saying that they're going to even win the big the uh, the Pac-12. But what we are saying is that there's a new direction in Colorado, and it's going to be led by one prime time coach, Coach Prime, aka Dion Sanders, and I like what he's doing. Colorado also got a four-star running back by the name of. Dylan Edwards, who had committed to Notre Dame to decommit and flip to come to Colorado. So the Dion Magic train is coming. And he told you that. He said when he left Jackson State, he got on his Instagram and he was like, we coming. And folks, they are coming in droves to Colorado to play for Coach Prime. Stay tuned for all the big things that Dion is going to do 
to change not only the trajectory of that program, but also the lives of these young men that are believing in him and that are trusting him, not only for potential opportunities at the next level, but the opportunities just to be a person who can move forward in life with what Dion can give them. Continue success, Dion, because you're doing a hell of a job. We're going to flip the mic real quick, and we're going to talk about what occurred last night in L.A. with the Lakers. Shannon Sharp. Of course, all of you know who Shannon Sharp is. Hall of Fame tight end from the Denver Broncos. Uh, TV personality on FS1's. Skipping Shannon got into a bit of a little shouting match. I'm sorry, shouting match during the Lakers contest last night against the Memphis Grizzlies. Apparently, Shannon Sharp told Dylan Brooks, "You too small to guard LeBron." Okay, maybe he shouldn't have said it, but we we all know that Shannon. They call him. Unk, we all know that Unk, a.k.a. Shannon Sharp, has an affinity for the Lakers and especially LeBron James. So no one should have been surprised by Shannon saying anything. But Dylan Brooks took it to a whole nother level. He wants to curse his Shannon. Shannon curses back. And then we have a melee that appears to be occurring as Stephen Adams steps in. Superstar John Moran of the Grizzly wants to step in. But the the thing that I found to be funny when I saw the video was that John Moran's dad wants to step in. Now, it's one thing to be at the game. Your son is a professional basketball player, and maybe he gets into a confrontation with somebody on the floor. I'm not recommending that you jump out of your seat, but I can understand it more if it's your son. It wasn't his son that got into the, mate, that got into the confrontation with Shannon Sharp. It was his son's teammate. So why he felt the need to put himself in that situation, I have no idea. But good thing that they had security. Security was able to uh, kind of calm Shannon down, get the players back to where they needed to be because this happened right before the half. Um, and um, Shannon was able to, continue to watch the game in the second half and watch the Lakers get a big win towards the end of this game um, to beat Memphis by one point as Mr. Schroeder came up with a great defensive play against Mr. Bain for Memphis and propelled the Lakers to a one-point win. As we have seen over, I think, the last five or six games, the Lakers have lost those games by a total of 10 points. We know the heartbreaker that they suffered against the Sacramento Kings a um, few nights ago, um, they've had some really close contests. So for them to be able to squeak this one out was really, really a big win for Laker Nation. They're sitting here waiting for the return of Anthony Davis, who may be possibly coming back in two weeks. But even if he comes back, he's got to stay healthy. It doesn't matter if he comes back and then he goes back out again if he's injured. They cannot win without AD being healthy. Right now, I think they are three spots out of the play-in game, which if you would have said a couple of weeks ago that they were potentially that close, people probably would have laughed. And this has been without AD. I'm sorry, this has been without AD. Excuse me, folks. Because LeBron has put this team on his back. He has carried them to this point. And hopefully when AD does come back, maybe the Lakers can try to decrease some of these minutes that LeBron has been playing. Because if they are to make it into the play-in game, they're going to need every ounce of LeBron at his peak in order to try to get out of the play-in game round to get into the full scope of the playoffs. But we shall see. But it was a big win last night. Unfortunately for Shannon Sharp, he had to go and get into this confrontation. Look, 
for all of us who have played sports, we know how it can be to be a competitor. You never want anybody to call you out, call you out your name. He didn't call him out his name. He just told me, say, look, facts. LeBron is better. You are too small to try to guard the GOAT. Dylan Brooks took, took that to heart, didn't appreciate it, and that's what his rebuttal was, his, his reaction. So hopefully, you know, these two men can come together at some point and they can, you know, voice in a common fashion how they actually feel and that they can, you know, maybe shake hands on it as we saw at the end of the video that John Morant's dad actually came up to Shannon um, after the game and um, shook his hand. And I don't know if he apologized. That's not for me to know. I don't know. I just saw them in the video shaking hands, dapping each other up. And that was a good sign because things could have really gotten really chaotic last night. So we never want to see anything like that, especially um, in a sports setting. We have enough violence going on in the world right now. We're trying to get that under control. We definitely don't need to see that carry over into a, a basketball game. So we are glad that that did not occur. Why are we on the subject of basketball? I just want to talk about this. Going back to the, want to talk about the collegiate level. For those who don't know, I'm a big North Carolina fan, and going into this season, there was a lot of pressure on the Tar Heels because of the fact that last year they made such an incredible run in the NCAA tournament, getting all the way to the championship game where where they unfortunately had a meltdown in the second half and lost to Can to the Kansas Jayhawks and Coach Bill Self. Um, Hubert Davis was in his first year at the helm after he took over for legendary retired coach Roy Williams. I thought that Carolina should have come in possibly as the number one team coming in. They were bringing everybody back, and they supposedly had a pretty good recruiting class. And the season hasn't started off quite the way I'm sure that they wanted to. They went on a four-game losing streak, and then they've had some injuries to Amando, ba Amando Baycock and Pete Nance, who transferred in from Northwestern. But, folks, this team is still talented. And what I'm hoping for is that Coach Davis – you go out and read. This is one thing I don't understand about some of these coaches sometimes when you go to recruit. There is no question that Hubert Davis is a hell of a recruiter. They're going to have the number one class next year in 2023-2024. Carolina is. They just signed the number one, I'm sorry, number one, um, yeah, that's right. They just signed the number one point guard. And they just signed the number one shooting guard. So they're going to be stacked. And they have a four-star forward coming in as well. So they're going to be stacked. But my thing is, you go out and you recruit these young men. But then you don't give them playing time. I mean, I watched them in the tournament earlier in the year. The field night tournament. And against Alabama, who they played and lost to. In four overtimes, he had a rotation of six players. Maybe he did slid somebody else in, so maybe seven. But it was more like six. You can't play your players, whether they're young or not. You can't play them those type of minutes. They will come back to burn you at the end of the season. That was the time early on. is the best time to get these players acclimated to college basketball. And I know I'm not trying to sit here and tell Hubert Davis how to coach. Obviously, he showed his medal last year and what he was able to do. So I'm not by far trying to tell him how to coach. But I'm just chiming in because I am a basketball coach myself. And I'm just like, you have a, to me, you have depth on this team. But you have to make it work for you by allowing these players to take their shots from the standpoint of giving them the minutes letting it see jail together so that by the time you come around to ACC conference play, ACC tournament play, and then, of course, NCAA tournament play, you have figured out your rotation. 
And we know that the bench gets shorter as the year gets longer. But you want to be able to see what these – and I know, you know, I'm not at practice. I know they, the coaching staff, they know who can play, who's doing well. But to see some of these guys and knowing what they're uh, – and, you know, numbers don't mean anything about their – you know, in regards to four-star, three-star, four, I and mean, we've seen guys with lesser credentials come in and be and turn into stars. But with that being said, we also know that in order for players to be confident, the coaching staff has to be confident in them. And I just think that I don't want it to be a situation where Carolina wears down at the end of the year because they're going to a five- and six-man rotation. You know, um, we saw because Baycock was out against Virginia, he got hurt within the first – minute of that game we saw the young uh power forward slash center mr washington come in and blow the doors off and if they can get a performance from him with more playing time like that to go along with baycock and um pete nance that front line is going to be incredible and that can only enhance them as they continue down the road the one thing that i noticed is that seems like caleb love um has lost some confidence. He has not had the big games that we're used to, and I'm sure that he's used to. But the one thing that I will give him credit for is that in the games where he has not shot the ball well, he has been a great assist man. And that is important that you keep yourself engaged in the game, whether that be getting the ball to your teammates, whether that be doing something on the defensive end, but all these things add up to what the final and ultimate goal is, is to cut down the nets for the NCAA championship. And that's what I want to see my Tar Heels do. So, you know, I hope Hubert Davis continues to, you know, tap into these young freshmen that he has, a couple of the sophomores, to extend this bench and get the quality, these players the quality time that they need and to get this bench the quality uh, repetitions that they need in order for them to be the lone team standing at the end of the year. Because it was heartbreaking to see them last year right there at the doorstep. That first half, if the game could have been over that first half, man, we'd have been celebrating a championship. But that's why they always say basketball is a game of two halves. Because just as dominating as Carolina was in that first half, Kansas flipped the script and they were just as dominating the second half. So I just want the Tar Heels to be that team that can cut down those nets. It's a lot of good teams that are going to be in this tournament this year. Um, Kansas, of course, the defending champion is one of them. And so, you know, uh, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a very interesting tournament. Uh, not just in the ACC, but definitely when we get to the big dance. So I just wanted to tap into that and talk about that. And real quick, want to make a note um, to get back to the NBA. If you didn't see the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors go toe-to-toe, um, you missed a really, really great in-season game. You know, we know that Golden State's been up and down all year long. Um, not only battling injuries with the likes of uh, Steph, I think Draymond was out with a couple of games for injury. Clay was out. Uh, Andrew Wiggins was out. But folks, Golden State's the defending champion for a reason. They had a heart of a lion and they have a champion in one Steph Curry. Steph Curry is a unbelievable player because you know, we can always look at the highlights of the the Dominique Wilkins, the Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryants, the the um, high flying dunkers, Anthony Edwards of the new crop, the John Morants, the ones that leave us holding our breath. But if you sit and you watch Steph Curry play, he takes your breath away too. Not only with his basketball intelligence, but with his basketball skills and the time in which he knows when to do what to do. Steph Curry is just ridiculous. 
some of the shots that he takes and makes absolutely incredible and ridiculous. And that game between the Celtics and the Warriors felt like a playoff championship game. Jason Tatum has been on a tear this year. He should be one of the front runners for league MVP, along with, of course, Luka Doncic. But, folks, don't get it twisted. I don't care if Steph Curry is 6'3 and he's not a high flyer. Steph Curry is by far one of the greatest players to pick up a basketball. And the way that he has transformed the NBA and the way people play is the reason why the NBA is, other than football, as they say, fantastic. When we close this afternoon, just want to send on a um, shout out of respect and condolences to the Ford family. Um, Coach Ford, formerly of the Boston Celtics, Chris Ford, passed away. Just want to send our condolences to his family, to uh, people he worked with in the Boston Celtics organization um, that are probably grieving now and to the players that he played with and coached. Um, just unfortunate. We just um, just want to just say rest in peace, coach. And as we are about to depart, we hope everybody has a safe and enjoyable weekend. You should be definitely entertained today with the divisional round of the NFL as well as tomorrow. We'll be back next week to talk about what occurred in the divisional round, and of course, to get you set up for the NFC and AFC championship games, which will occur next weekend for NFL championship weekend. This has been Coach P. Thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe. Peace.